will find you. And I will kill you. Yeah. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, Tom. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like scary Uh huh. What's your favorite scary movie? The price is wrong, bitch. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And this week, we are covering the final three episodes of what may be a one-season show, or who knows, maybe we'll get multiple seasons, of WandaVision. And uh, with me again, I'm joined by Leslie of the Leslie Monday podcast. How's it going, Leslie? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And if you haven't, go over, subscribe to her podcast because we covered two episodes on her show. And so if you're wondering where those uh, analysis and reviews are, they're over there. So go check it out. I'm probably going to shill it a little bit later on (laughs) when I make a point. But uh, with that said, it's full spoilers. We're talking about everything. Uh, That's why we wanted to wrap it up with the final three episodes. So no hanging threads and no what ifs or what maybes. Um, So we're going to talk about it all. We're going to talk about the post credit scenes and kind of our thoughts of where this is going to go in the future uh, with other projects, maybe how we could see other seasons happening, uh, some other ideas of shows that we could see being kind of spun off of this and what this means for these future uh, MCU shows. So um, we may not spend too much time in depth on episode seven and episode eight. We'll probably focus more on nine because it's more fresh and more recent. So Mm -hmm. bear with us on that. We might, call back to things we don't talk about, but, um, but starting it off with episode seven, um, breaking the fourth wall, uh, Monica plots a return. Wanda navigates unsettling complications and vision forms a new alliance. So, uh, this is the modern family episode, which also in my opinion had the thing kind of a 
theme song of the office to it. Did you yeah, catch that? I think a lot, I think a lot of those, um, you know, what's it? The gym looking at the camera shots yeah. sort of things. They had a bunch of those, especially Paul Bettany. Yes. Um, getting <laughs> when he's in that was a funnel cake car. I keep wanting to call it an ice cream truck, but it's a funnel cake van yeah. with, um, I keep wanting to call her cat instead of Darcy, <laughs> but you know, they're there and he like looks at the camera a lot of office flavor. Yes. And and I mean some of that too comes from from uh Modern Family. I've I've only watched a few seasons, but there are there are some kind of moments like that in that show as well, but like a lot of the interviewing uh as the mom uh you know Julie Julia Bowen's character in in Modern Family like Wanda is playing that version. Um but we get we also get some answers in this episode, but I think one of my favorite bits, just talking about kind of the mockumentary format, uh, is Vision when he's sitting on the kind of like the director's chair talking to the camera crew and then like taking off the lapel mic and like, what am I doing? And just yeah. you know, goes off flying to go find Wanda and everybody. I like that his cape caught on the chair. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And, and it was just kind of a fun thing to see like these heroes and these like bigger than life characters in that, you know, scenario in that format. It was just kind of fun. Like it's not meant to be taken seriously. It's just enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Um, also, during this time, like there's Wanda's having some issues with things kind of fritzing and jumping between the eras of uh, the different eras of the television that she's been kind of emulating and creating. Um, but the biggest thing to really come out of this episode, other than Darcy, the escape artist, um, is the reveal of not who's behind it, but who has been helping manipulate things. And this is where I'm going to show your your uh, your show, because I, I had some weird thoughts uh, about Agnes uh, back in the uh, was that the 80s episode uh, when she broke character and was like, do you want me to take that again? And like she was the first and kind of really only person Herb had a little bit um, in the Halloween episode where he was like, you know, is everything right? Like, is everything how mm-hmm. you want it to be? Uh, but Agnes was the first one to kind of break that fourth wall and go like, do you want me to take it from the top? And without knowing the extent, especially at that time of how Wanda was manipulating people. Um, we didn't know if this was her influence or Agnes breaking through. So we find out that Agnes is actually Agatha Harkness, um, which might be from the comics. I'm not too familiar with the character. Uh, It seems like someone that, you know, with the name and especially with the name like Harkness coming from, you know, like Dracula, that this would be a a character from the comics. It's just maybe not one I'm too familiar with. Yeah, Um, I wouldn't say I'm familiar with it either, but like a lot of my exposure to X-Men is through various cartoons that they did. Yeah. And she's usually a character that's somewhat somehow around Wanda or related to her or she goes to her. So I'm like, I know the name and that she's usually kind of, Sometimes a mentorish sort of a character, but other than that, like I'm not familiar comic book wise. Yeah, I I can't say, and and I mean, as much as I'm a, a fan of the X Men, I my my comic book knowledge of them is very limited. Uh, I have some of the older stuff and some of the collect the collections of like 
the original releases and and like back when her and Pietro were part of the Brotherhood and everything like that, but not not too much in extent. Um, I mean, the biggest would be House of M, which this is heavily influenced by. Um, so it um, was kind of nice to to see like my suspicions, even though they kind of like went away, were kind of like validated that you know that that was. A specific like th- that was a point. That was a clue. It was a wasn't a red herring or anything like that. Um, and we see that she has now, th- to the extent of her own influence outside of you know being shown what she actually manipulates and d- and does. We don't know what all she's actually caused within the hex. Um, but we we are kind of, you know, introduced that she is also a witch. Uh, by the end of the episode, she has the kids trapped and she has Wanda trapped. Uh, all the meanwhile, Vision and Darcy are trying to get back and getting stopped by every conceivable hijink. Uh, <laughs> the traffic lights going out, walking school kids uh, and everything. And Vision finally is like, what the heck, I can fly. <laughs> you know, it just goes <laughs> off and flies. Um let us not forget yes. that I still sentence Agatha Harkness to death for killing Sparky. Whether mm-hmm. or not he was real, if he's a fake dog inside the hex or a real dog inside the hex, she killed the dog and therefore she is irredeemable and is sentenced to death by me. I <laughs> would agree. And, and, you know, that was a funny thing, too, because that was a, a theory I had seen after that episode um, with Sparky's death that, like, people were thinking she killed Sparky. Uh, but that was also like a nice, like cliche TV moment where it was like, and I was the one who did it. And it's like, well, okay. uh, to me, it was kind of cliche to Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And of course, we did that Wizard of Oz call t- in um, episode nine, too. Right. With the feet. Yes. So Boots. it was it, it was d- definitely like a nice reveal. Um, and we cut to cut to see kind of. What she did impact and what she didn't impact. The acts she put on, the acts she didn't put on. Like, we thought she was trying to get out of the hex, but that was really an act to kind of manipulate Vision. She is the reason why we have fake Pietro, which... <laughs> Pietro? <laughs> well, and I'm not I'm not really thrilled with how they wrapped that up. Uh, I was a little disappointed. Well, I kind of feel like it's one of those... This is coming from me watching like the Arrowverse and mm-hmm. how they do multiple earths and dimensions kind of really well, ha- like that kind of thought process applied to this, where it's like, that could be technically the same guy only in this universe. His name is Ralph and he's not like a powered person. And that doesn't mean that there can't be a multiverse where she's going to like put Pietro into his body. Like, I don't feel like it's the last we'll ever see of him, yeah, you know, especially I mean, since they've bought Fox. Right. And it, and it just it, it felt like um, the rug being pulled out from underneath me like that. That just kind of reveal. It was like, why did you get Evan Peters if you weren't going to use him for for that? Like later down. So maybe maybe you're right. And we'll see because this obviously by the end um, and we're jumping a little bit ahead. But by the end of this, like it's obviously leading to Doctor Strange 2 and and uh, the mul- madness of the multiverse or whatever its convoluted title is. Um, so multiverse we, of madness. Multiverse of madness. Um, so it, it's. 
it's definitely going to play out or we're going to see in, in that film what's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty that's pretty much it for like episode seven. Just gives us the big Agnes reveal, Agatha reveal. Um, and, you know, that she's also a witch and uses these runes to trap uh, Wanda in the basement. So when you go into episode eight, um, you're kind of thinking, well, maybe... Agatha was the one who's kind of really behind this, but yeah, the big bad, but the, the nice thing, even though, uh, that's kind of torn apart, uh, in the next episode, I I really liked episode eight previously on, um, because with one, we see kind of Agatha's origin. She was kind of a witch, uh, back in the Salem witch trial era. Um, her coven, including her mother pretty much had sentenced her to death for abuse of power and she do you think knowingly drained or that was just an evolution of her own kind of like mystical powers I'm, I'm not really sure but i didn't think it was her mother like her actual mother i thought in the covens like the leader of the coven is called mother like mother townsend no because i i the the um kind of, when she's the last one standing uh, there is kind of, I feel like, this pang of grief when she is draining um, the final um, one. But I mean, it might be, but I thought that's like how it worked. I mean, because I don't know anything about you're that. Not, you're not Wiccan or a witch? <laughs> I do not know, but I thought that the leader was called Mother, like irregardless. It could be. Um, or regardless, I should say. We should get rid of irregardless. <laughs> Or irregardless. But no, I'm. I don't know. I think she was kind of trying to play along, and then she was like, "Ah, eh, well, you know." Oh yeah, well. <laughs> it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of up in the air. Like I kind of expected her to be able to break out of it, but when, once she was actually draining the power, it seemed like that was something new. Maybe something. And see, the, this is a little bit of the problem, and kind of it's it's been an overall problem in the Marvel movies in general with villains is sometimes they're very one dimensional outside of like Thanos who they built up and, you know, established Mm -hmm. through all 10, like 10 different movies over 10 years uh, as the big bad and his motivation. A lot of the other villains have been just kind of like, Oh, I'm here. I want to do evil thing. Beat me, you know, and they didn't do enough establishing what kind of, who she was, where she's been, what, she, what, she, why she's been doing this, other than like we know she wants more power, like, and kind of speculates on who Wanda really is. But one of the things that this episode does really well is it establishes one why she picks the sitcoms that she's picked, and it's kind of a mixture of what I, I originally thought. Like it was stuff that maybe they watched on TV that was airing, that was kind of like airing overseas late. But her father was like he would sell DVDs and he had all the TV seasons and they would have a a show night. Uh But this was the really great thing, too, is showing us her and Pietro at the moment when they become kind of radicalized in Sokovia um, with the bomb, the Stark bomb that they talk about in Age of Ultron. Uh, But this was also kind of a cool thing, too, is connecting to the commercials is the Stark toaster from 
the first commercial with the blinking yeah. light is the representation of the bomb that is in their house. Um, and then kind of everything else afterwards, Hydra, Strucker, or Strucker, Hydra, uh, the Lago stuff, like that's just kind of everything else that's kind of happened on their life. Um, yeah, so I still think that that weird commercial with the kid who can't open the, the, Yo Magic. the yogurt, yeah, I think that's still referring to like the other people. Yeah, it you could know. be. It, it's like, empty. It's empty. They're not really getting any sustenance and they're just going to kind of wither away. Yeah. Like what's happening to the kids. Yeah. <laughs> suddenly they're all there. Yeah. So that that and that very well could be. I mean, because like you don't get all of really all of the commercials explained. We get, you know, the one for the Nexus uh, prescription for like antidepressants or whatever. And that's obviously probably going to refer more to you know a multiverse theory like the 616 is like the nexus of the marvel universe and and everything else is kind of the alternate earths but um but yeah it's this but we also get that her powers didn't exactly come from the mind stone uh that she was doing uh, basically simple hexes to prevent the bomb from actually going off. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It feels to me like it's planting the seeds for mutants to still be there. Yeah. I feel like they're soft planting it, yeah. you know, like, cause it wasn't like an over in your face. It was just kind of very, you know, you could pass over it if you don't really, you know, pay attention. Right. And it's not like they established it like her mother was a witch and stuff like mm-hmm. that. She was learning this from her mother because it would then lead to credence to like Pietro having speed abilities that then were enhanced by the stone, um, which we know the stones enhance abilities of normal people when they're held, if they can be held, if they're, you know, powerful enough that 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 leads to kind of the credence like these were dormant abilities that the stone kind of finally opened up. And, um, yeah, because Agatha even says at that one point, you know, it would have died on the vine if, if she hadn't been exposed to that because she wasn't, it wasn't like something she was using or really knew about. So it's like powers that you kind of had, but would have just died off and, and not happened. Right. And so I, I thought that that was a really cool establishment. We see her kind of interaction with the Mind Stone and her getting kind of a vision of this figure, which, you know, is obviously the Scarlet Witch because, <laughs> you know, you got the headdress and everything. Uh, but, you know, you don't quite see exactly what it is. Uh, but when they look at it on camera, it just looks like she faints right in front of the stone. Um then we we kind of jump and we see the aftermath of Age of Ultron and her first interaction, like person to person interaction with Vision. And a lot of people have kind of had issue with this line. And I I don't think that there's an issue there because I think with what Vision says is actually very accurate is that grief is not necessarily loss. It's love persisting. Who's having issues with it? Everything I've seen, everybody's like, it's the most brilliant piece of dialogue I've ever heard. Well, as we both know, people find problems with everything. (laughs) And so I I don't think it's a majority of people, but I was seeing it kind of bandied around online. And I'm like, but 
that's really what it is because you love that thing, that person, that animal so much that you, you know, you're overwhelmed by that love and that that's, and then once you're over the grief, like that love is still persisting. That love is still there. You still think about that person. You still think about that thing. So I thought that was, a, like you said, it was a very beautiful, fantastic line um, and, and very brilliant. Um, and then we kind of move forward and we see her going to um, to S.W.O.R.D. And we, we kind of find out that, of course, Hayward has been yeah. lying all along, you know. Surprise, uh, surprise. There was no real, uh, real like, living will that the Vision had about being dismantled. and. Well, he might have had a living will, but I think Hayward was the one who just doesn't care. Right. Well, and because, like, as what she wanted to do was just bury him and she was next of kin. And that's more in accordance to probably what vision wished. And it's seeing vision in that dismantled state that I think is what really causes her to do what she does. Well, and like Hayward being so manipulative with every choice sentence he says to her, because he's definitely the one who planted an idea in her head about like, bring him back online. Yeah. You know, he's he's kind of the one who's just sprinkling things. I think, you know, like he said, they they put they took him apart, put him back together like hundreds of times. They couldn't get it to work. And he thought, here's a perfect opportunity. Let's see if she can get him to work, you know, because he wants that perfect weapon. Right. Right. And um, now I might have missed this, but where did she get the um, the house plan thing? It was a deed, like Vision already had it, okay, and it was sitting in her car, like okay. she had it with her. She probably had it with her because she was, you know, grieving and thinking, well, I'd like to bury him, and it was sitting in the car next to her. When I first watched it, I thought it was something like somebody slipped in her car, mm-hmm. you know, sort of a thing, but then after the second watch, I'm like, it was just there. Yeah, I couldn't, I, I couldn't re- remember, because uh, I just remembered her opening it up and, and kind of like his his plan for their future. And like, that's, that's the final nail in the coffin, like going, going to Westview, finding the lot and just being, having seen his body. Uh, and we also kind of find out that Hayward manipulated that footage of, of, Uh you know, what, what was going on in stealing vision's body, because once she unleashes the power that then creates the reality, we see that, it's from the piece of the mind stone that's kind of like still influenced and still a part of her is what vision is. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it's, it's really cool to kind of get all those answers at once. Yeah. And I don't feel like she maliciously went there and like did this on purpose. I think like she had no idea of her own level of power and she was in all of those mixed feelings of grief and what you wouldn't do to have somebody back. And she's looking at, you know, he had that house plan and thoughts of what their future could have been like. And like all of that just kind of came out in one, what do they call it? in princess bride, the one scream of Supreme grief or whatever, when he, and he screams that scream. Yeah. Like she screams that scream and that's what happens. I don't think she purposefully did it. Yeah. It's a, it's a completely just like, biological response to all the pain and grief and loss that she's feeling that it just explodes. And that's what, you know, because even she still like, uh, as we saw in the Halloween episode is like not aware that she has this level of power. 
Because like when mm-hmm. fake Pietro is talking to her, it, it's he's like, well, you you know could only move things and give people nightmares, and and she still can't, didn't quite know. Um, so like part of her kind of still kept that hidden of herself. Um, but by the end of the episode, uh, it's you know revealed by Agatha that she is the Scarlet Witch, a being of chaos that can bring destruction of the world and stuff like that. Um, and then that's, oh, we, we kind of forgot to mention this, but Monica reentering the barrier, um, and having rewritten her DNA again to have now powers, um, which I still kind of think like, again, leans to that, um, that, uh, mutant ability kind of a little bit being sprinkled in kind of trying to introduce the concepts, introduce the idea. So people start understanding how mutants are now existing in this world. Uh, but we were talking about this a little bit before, uh, recording how Monica, in my opinion, is outshining Carol Danvers at this point because of how better of an established character, even though she's a child in Captain Marvel, we we have an established relationship with her mother. They take that entire fourth episode uh, to show us everything from Monica's perspective of coming back from the snap, mm-hmm. coming to terms with the loss of her mother, then finding herself, uh, you know, thrown into this uh, adventure uh, and mm-hmm. uh, then also kind of understanding why Wanda is doing this and being the outside of Jimmy and Darcy, like being the one who's truly empathetic to Wanda's loss. Um, So it was really great to kind of start seeing her have powers um, in episode seven, episode seven. And of course, by there's a credit scene and she's kind of, you know, trapped by fake Pietro. uh, And that's kind of where she spends all of episode eight. Uh, But now we kind of, spin into episode or before we get into episode nine, we get the, the tease of what project cataract is all about. And it's the emotionless vision, uh, the soulless vision, uh, all white, which is, uh, actually, you know, tied into the comics. There was a version of vision that like kind of lost his soul and lost his essence. And he was white. And, uh, so I thought that was a nice, like little callback and a, a build up to episode nine. I know, by the end of episode eight, I was like, I I want nine now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm like, how did they do that, though? Like, change his color? Because the body that they have right there, I mean, is it just a paint job? Because he's a synthzoid, whatever, you know? It's <laughs> probably, well, um, I would say it's probably just a natural response because he, he can, you know, manipulate change and, and everything like that, that... It's just, but they already had him that color before he woke up in the thing. Well, they had him grayed. And, I mean, he yeah. was grayed from when the Mind Stone was ripped out. But my thinking is once they were able to reactivate him and bring him, you know, basically to standby mode without, you know, waiting to get the power of a little bit of Scarlet Witch's power to revitalize him, that it was just kind of this pure white because it's just a lack of anything like no empathy, but also no evil. And because he's really not evil. He's just a robot programmed to do what evil people are telling him to do. Um, but it also, I think, cause I've always had this theory and they've never quite fully addressed it. And I think that this does without straight out saying it, 
Because, you know, Shuri was like trying to disconnect all the neurons and stuff or whatever from the Mind Stone so that there would be something of a vision left. It may not be the same vision uh, with the with the Mind Stone, um, but it would be something. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of what this vision is. So I I feel like she had achieved that goal because it's never quite fully addressed because like she was moving really quick as they're as the Black Guard are moving in and she or Black Order. And then she like moves away the thing and then she uses her tiger fists and uh, (laughs) and then, you know, that's basically the last it's ever mentioned after Vision dies. And so I think that she actually achieved that goal, but they still didn't have the necessary means to bring him back online. So it could be a combination of that and uh, and everything. But it was a really great cliffhanger to leave eight on going into nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we move into the final episode it's self-titled the series finale so whether or not they're going to do other seasons i personally don't know without changing kind of the mode of what they're going for i can't see other seasons coming out of this i know we talked about it you want you definitely want more Um, yeah well it doesn't necessarily have to be wandavision like this mm -hmm. exact format because i think we can see in the later episodes that you know, this is a Marvel show and kind of how a Marvel show would look. I think it was just the sitcom thing was like, was a get like a gimmick of, you know, and, and they tied it in. Right. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that exact kind of a format thing. But I think they've really shown that, you know, this is the way that they can do more in-depth stuff, more in-depth, in-depth character building to lead up to larger movies and not have to worry about trying to do an origin story within a movie for a certain character, you know, while they have other stuff going on, kind of like, like civil war, right. You know, like they can just, you already have the stuff built up and then you come into the movie. Now the question is, does that tire the audience too much? You know, that you have to be watching all these shows in order to understand what's going on in the movie. Um, I don't know for me, who's already like in it and has been in it for the past 10, you know, 11 years, whatever it is now, I'm like, I'm all here for it. Right. But for somebody who maybe isn't, I don't know. Does that feel like it's too much? Is it overwhelming? Uh, and I guess that that question will have to be answered with Dr. Strange too, um, to see how they can kind of maybe briefly, uh, synopsize the the events uh yeah like hey this is what happened did you see it you could probably get like a couple news reports going you know after scarlet witch's takeover of a town in westview and 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 have like some of those characters like uh must i can't think of mustache guy's name but you know because he was kind of the one of the funnier characters in in the show because he was always so kind of dull and and you know boring uh the one who you know when they're talking about the the heart dinner and he was like yeah we had the five uh, course meal we had a string quartet norm yeah no norm is norm is the one who sits next to him um oh the other guy yeah, yeah. i don't know his name yeah it, but he's he, but, the one who put up the flyer for piano lessons yeah and then and, and like his final response was like i i wore a tur- turtleneck you know like i could just totally see him giving like a very dull interview like talking about kind of the events that happened a little bit or just having a few of them kind of pop up and and say some stuff but uh yeah it's going to be really interesting to see how that handles um kind of this complex story 
and succinctly do it to where people who haven't watched it or don't have the time to invest into it or invest in any of the shows or people who don't have Disney Plus, how they can feel that they're not lost. Um, I mean, what they've done in the past with previous movies is briefly reference kind of key events and and, and passing and exposition. So I would assume that that's kind of what they'll do moving forward. Um, But it's definitely got me interested. Like, I definitely want to see more shows. There's no doubt of that. Like, I'm I'm really excited for Falcon and Winter Soldier. I'm really excited for Loki. I, I can't wait to see you know, Hawkeye and like how these shows build up and set up potential storylines. And like we've said ad nauseum, it's really great to get these great character development moments. Like Mm -hmm. this really establishes the relationship with Wanda and vision. And, um, maybe for people who weren't familiar with their relationship in the comic books now understand why, like the comic book fans were, you know, kind of more heartbroken at the end of infinity war because, you know, vision was dead and we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, yeah. And I think if they keep them to like, maybe they just make them one seasons like this, like it'd be kind of, I'm thinking like, this is the WandaVision comic book and this is the Falcon and winter soldier comic book. And they keep them to like that nine to 10 episodes, mm-hmm. because I did see where some people just waited until yesterday to watch all of them and just sat and watched all of them in one go and then did like their reactions or reviews or whatever. And they didn't feel like that was very overwhelming because you know, the the episodes are kept to a, a decent length. It's not right. like, it's not like, uh, what I want to say, um, Sherlock, you know, and right. it's like a movie, it's like 90 minutes or something. Right. With well, each one. Um, and, and, you know, and I'm fine with that too. Like I can still see you doing kind of like, in, in that sense, because you're like talking about it in the comic book, like a season two is like a second issue. It's just mm-hmm. that they have to make sure that they format the story that they're telling to be multi-seasonal. Like Loki, I think, is is already I've said it before in the past. I think it's already like got a season two in the works. But yeah, but I don't think it necessarily has to be a continuation of this exact story. I think it's this story then the multiverse of madness and then there'll probably be questions in there and then we go from there yeah you don't have to continue straight from here they just have to do it right they just got to be very careful and if we know feige he's very (laughs) very careful and and forethinking uh i know he said like necessarily that this one they didn't have plans but depending on you know reception and views and whatever and and kind of the overall impact you know, he might do another season like Falcon and Winter Soldier is definitely one I could see being multi-seasonal because it's, you know, more political thriller. It's more action based. Like you're just following these two. It's kind of like a buddy cop movie, you know, where yeah. you can go follow them from adventure to adventure to adventure. Yeah, uh, I'm really looking forward to their dynamic because they are great. That that is probably one of the best things that they established in Civil War is kind of this love hate relationship. Like I I love it when, uh, you know, they're going up against Spider-Man and like, they finally get webbed to the, uh, you know, to the ground and, and he uses, um, the, the drone to kind of knock Spider-Man out. And he's like, couldn't you have done that earlier? And he's (laughs) 
I hate you. <laughs> it's, it's just because they're both, they both consider them St- Steve's best friend, you know? And yeah. here you got this old, you know, guy from the <laughs> World War II era and this modern guy butting heads over their best friend. And it's just, it's going to be really funny to see that dynamic. And Sebastian Stan and uh, Anthony Mackie do it really well. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're both very talented actors that they can keep that. Their chemistry is just what really works for those two. And yeah. something like Loki, I can see being multi-seasonal because it's dealing more with he's outside of things and he's a you know yeah. an alternate timeline time and it's time travel. And, you know, he can do things that might impact mainline MCU, but can also be things that don't. And they can do fun little things with it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's. I think that this was a very good start with WandaVision. I think, yes, people really had a problem with the sitcom thing. Uh, we've talked about it, you know, where they just they couldn't adapt to it. They didn't understand it. They didn't have the patience for it. Um, but now we're seeing kind of this entire shift of everyone, like once it got past episode four, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, I love it. And, and then there's yeah. still other people who don't like it. I was seeing someone uh still kind of trashing it and saying oh it's just garbage it's not good and i'm like eh, well wait are, are you actually watching it because like he he said that you know it was something to the effect of yeah everyone that said that this show got better after episode three they're wrong and i'm like wait a minute did you actually watch <laughs> after episode three like are you are you following along? Are you paying attention? Are you invested in these characters? And like, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I, I, ha- I don't like when people necessarily just crap on the DCEU because it's fashionable to crap on the DCEU because they're not Marvel. They, they don't have the, the leadership. They don't have the plan. And yes, they have very flawed issues with their movies and they have issues with creators and uh, executives and there's a whole lot of infighting. Um, uh-huh. In fact, and this this I know this is a bit of a sidetrack and we'll get back to episode nine, I promise. Um, there's a, a YouTuber that like first off, he's been trashing the Snyder Cut from the get go. It's not real. It's not real. It's not real. Well, then when they announced the Snyder cut, he's like, Oh, but they had to reshoot some stuff or he had, they had to shoot extra footage. And it's like, okay, well, so part of, part of it wasn't real. And part of it was real. Like you're, you're, you're starting to split hairs there. And now they've come out to say that. And I mean, I kind of figured this all along that the Snyder cuts going to end on a cliffhanger. And, and then he's like, the Snyder fans are going to start demanding more and they're going to want more. And it's like, well, first off, the fans probably. are what well, probably, and that's actually probably a good thing. As long as they do it, you know, respectfully and mm-hmm. and politely, not, you know, sending death threats or anything like that cuz they're every fandom has those extremist kind Ridiculous, of Ridiculous, stupid yes. people. I mean, we're human, so right. they exist. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's it's one of those things where, like, I kind of had that speculation, too, because I'm thinking, OK, like they, they figure out how they're going to move forward. It might end on a cliffhanger because he had it originally set up as a two part movie. So my thinking is, well, why don't they go the animated aspect of a sequel? So, like, then they're not putting all of the financial budget into big effects and everything like that. You maybe get everybody to, to return to do their voices and then you can finish that storyline off without spending billions of dollars like to me that's an avenue that maybe you could look at 
or maybe it does have such a good reception that Warner Brothers maybe greenlights it because they've already got their Flashpoint movie set up for 50,000 years down the road when they finally shoot it and Ezra Miller's still alive. (laughs) But they've got the Flashpoint movie in the works. They've already established their multiverse. People will be fine if if Zack can finish his story and Uh then they rewrite everything with Flashpoint because then they at least got what they were expected. Um, So, but it's this thing that like, you you got to attack something just because other people like it or other people have asked for it. And I never have understood that. Like, it, it just doesn't make sense to me why people have to tear down other people for wanting something or liking something. And I can just sit back here and like, yeah, or gatekeep and yeah. say like, well, you're not as much of a fan as I am because I was fan of this back in 1950, whatever. And I'm like, right. okay, dude, whatever. Right. And, and it's just kind of this thing, like this is a bigger YouTuber. He had a, a yeah, actually there was a whole channel that was kind of created by him and, and fellows. And then he had a fall from grace and he had a comeback and like, I, I'm kind of glad that he was able to get past the, the issue that went on. But I'm sitting there like, but but you're doing the exact same thing that like you've criticized Grace Randolph for doing like, you know, that you're you hate Grace Randolph because maybe she gatekeeps or maybe she makes these outrageous theories or she's maybe cited some unreliable sources. But then you are doing the same thing. Like the the thing I can uh, kind of do as a direct correlation is he talked about the Ray Fisher allegations and then Charisma Carpenter came out and talked about. Uh, you know, her relationship with Joss Whedon. And he (laughs) basically was like, oh, I don't, I I maybe agree with what she says here, but that doesn't lead any credence to race accusations. And it's like, well, wait a minute. (laughs) We don't know the details of all of his accusations. We don't know exactly what's going on there. I think Ray has maybe overstepped a few bounds in his accusations, but Obviously, the investigation found some things to be true. Um, so but but like you can't be. Yes, I can understand this person and then go, well, wait, I don't see how this is related because I don't like this guy and I don't like the claims he's making. And it's like, well, there's a thing called established bad acts, prior bad acts. And it's not necessarily to condemn those prior bad acts or, or to hold him responsible, but it's to establish a pattern of behavior. It's not like a court of law where sometimes you can have that stuff thrown out because it's going to prejudice the jury, but it's an investigation that needs to take into account prior work relationships on sets and see if that is anything relatable to what's happening. But we've diverged a lot far off, so we're going to get back on track here. All right, so this is everything kind of finally coming to a head. We get a big grand fight between Wanda and Agatha, and we got Vision versus Vision. Um, We also get the really, as I said, I hate it, the reveal that Pietro is Ralph Boner, and to which even he makes a joke about his last name. Uh, It's funny that he's the Ralph all along, though. Yeah. My husband, Ralph. (laughs) You know, I didn't even make that connection. I did not even make that connection, but yet yeah, you're 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 pretty much right. Uh, yeah, you're dead on there. Um, so one of the things I really did like about about this finale uh, and about certain things that went on is I liked the paradox that Vision presented to Vision. 
because I know it from uh, a horror book and uh, it's also been adapted to a movie, uh, John Dies at the End, where the whole beginning of the book is set up that uh, this person has, uh, you know, killed a person with a hatchet. But then later on, he chips the head of the hatchet. So he's got to replace the, the hatchet head. And then he also then breaks the handle. So then he replaces the handle and then the reincarnated or reanimated body of the person he killed comes in and goes, that's the ax that killed me. Is he right? And it's like, that's, yeah, you know, it's. Oh, this, see, I actually got the ship of Theseus in philosophy class, so. I didn't take any philosophy <laughs> class. I'm not highfalutin. Um, but, but that's a, it's a really, really cool thing to present to a logic computer, you know. Yeah, like, and I liked that it was like vision knows how to talk to vision and to get him to stop and think it, it i just liked that it didn't divulge down into just a who can hit each other harder battle right. because i get really bored with those yeah i like that he was it was intelligent and he's like okay like let's stop and think about this here because if you're going to destroy vision you know is that yourself is that me you know like what's happening well and then again like this is what leads me to think that shuri was successful in her attempt is he unlocks white visions memories Mm -hmm. now whether this creates the same relationship or the same connection to wanda we'll have to see because we don't have any other interactions between that vision and wanda um but i i thought i i really liked it and i really like that this means we'll have vision like we're we're just not getting vision for the show and then they're just writing him off. It means we're getting Paul Bettany back and like we're going to see yeah. him in other movies cuz I I that was the one thing I really didn't like in Infinity War and Endgame was they never addressed what was going to happen with him. And so I really like that this show took that and and took it to a logical conclusion and I mean cuz like my speculation was like somehow this version of Vision, the Mind Stone version, was going to basically combine with the body, and that's how he would be able to leave the Hex and still be Vision. But I really like this way, like this unlocking the memories that were already there that were hidden from him. Um, Yeah, he's going to be there for the future stuff, but I think it's a nice way to establish more interesting storylines for him going forward yeah. because I think, I think the whole downloading himself into the white vision was like the thought that everybody thought it was going to go. But I almost feel like that's kind of like from a writer's perspective, that's a nice easy out that wraps right. up things perfectly how you want them to. And as a writer, I feast on your tears. So yeah. how can I make it harder for you and make you cry? Right. And that's, that's the thing there. Cause if we had that, we wouldn't get that very emotional ending. Like we don't. Well, yeah. And then we won't get emotional stuff that's going to happen, you know, with the white vision going forward, you right. know, because like we, we're we're going to it's not like they're just going to go back to having a relationship. They're going to have to rediscover each other. They're going to have to, you know, kind of go through those motions again. And and because mm-hmm. it's not like as much again with that kind of philosophy thing. Is it the you know, is it the ship of Theseus? It's this is not 
neither it's it's just this is the new vision like it's not the prior white vision and it's not the mindstone vision and it's not the uh, you know prior to infinity war vision it's a whole brand new vision he just he may have those memories but he still has to recreate those interactions and those relationships so it's going to be really interesting to see how that relationship with other people not just wanda develops and how he becomes an avenger again mm-hmm. um one of the other really cool things I liked about this episode uh, was I don't want to jump ahead yet, but we get the we do get the kind of like the fight with Wanda and Wanda releasing everybody or Wanda fighting uh, Agatha also releasing everybody. Billy and Tommy helping out. Uh, we get a really cool moment with Monica and some mm-hmm. more exploration of her powers, but also seeing like Billy and Tommy use theirs. Uh, so that was again, like really cool established moments that they were able to build up to, uh, but also seeing that not only vision cannot exist outside the hex, but also the boys because Mm -hmm. they are tied to this fake reality. Um, and as Wanda's using her powers, Agatha is draining her again, like she did the coven back in, in Salem. So, it's also Wanda kind of putting her all into this fight, like whether she dies or lives, she's going to to try to overcome this. Um, and one of those kind of things I really liked about this was that that final fight is like, you know, you, you think she's throwing these random hexes. <laughs> uh, oh, before I get to the random hexes part, I did like kind of the callback to Age of Ultron. She tries to use the mind trick thing. Oh, yeah, it was really cool, though. Yeah, it was. I really liked that kind of going back to her origin and, and using that original power set and trying to use that as a means to kind of capture or defeat Agatha and then it getting turned on her. Because um, then obviously all the coven, whether they're real or not, in this kind of nightmare, see her as the Scarlet Witch and the, this chaos being and they want to stop her as well. But then we go again back to her throwing these random hexes and they're hitting the the walls of the hex. Uh, and then we think she's going to be defeated. And I, they did a really good job with the age makeup here, too. Um, that actually this was those were deliberate and she yeah. used the runes against Agatha, which was, I thought, a great callback to, to episode seven. Yeah. And I thought, I guess she's still flying because she was already flying. Yeah. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yes. Uh, and then I think also the greatest, the greatest thing that came out of this episode is her costume. I thought they did it in a way <laughs> that was true to the comics without because I know like, you know, people want to criticize how she's drawn in the comic books and her costumes over sexualization and stuff. But they did it in a practical manner in this in the show. They've given her the headdress and mm-hmm. it looks good. Like, it looks yeah. good as a costume. Um, yeah, I feel like I'd want to see more, like, images of it, like, still images. Yeah. Just because I'm, you know, I, I like different costumes and whatnot. Like, I made a replica of our, a few of Arwen's dresses and, and stuff in middle school. So, I like, I want to see a lot of pictures and, like, the full 360 mm-hmm. and everything. But I did think it looked really good. And I like the color choice that they yeah. went with, that they didn't do, like, the fire engine red. Right. Yeah, because like, they like kind of established her with that darker red anyway. So it, it feels very kind of true. And I also yeah. liked, uh, as she was leaving Westview, like, 
the the hood you know the hood function because mm-hmm. that's you know something she, it's it's also kind of a callback to the final panels of house of m is when she's in hiding and she's like at a at a cafe table or something but she's wearing kind of a cloak over uh so she's kind of hiding out there in plain sight um so yes and you know we get the kind of very final climactic very emotional scene with her saying goodbye to the boys and mm-hmm. the final moments with vision and it's truly heartbreaking i mean because yeah. we we want to see this vision more and we want to see you know them to have a happy ending uh but it just can't she can't do it you know it's and she can't she saw the impact she was having on these people and she thought that they were fine and that they were safe and that they were happy and then once they're out of it and they're telling her like, please just tell my husband not to come back here, you know, leave them alone, like do what you want with me, Mm -hmm. but just don't hurt anyone else. Yeah. I don't think she really realized. I think she thought they were all going around on their day, like as, as per usual and didn't really realize like the lady who we saw crying, hanging the Halloween decoration that she can't go any further than that. She can't do anything. I don't think she understood the extent of that. And like you said, kind of tying to that Yo Magic commercial where it's, yeah. you know, that just that like fake sustenance that you're trying to get. You're trying to be filled. You're trying to be happy and you're just withering away. And that's basically what was happening to everyone there. But they were just, you know, being in line to their sh- their show character, you know, and not being mm-hmm. true human beings in this reality. Um and then we have uh, two credit scenes. I, I didn't quite like how Darcy's in this episode for like five seconds. Uh, <laughs> she manages to pin Hayward to, you know, in his car so that he can get arrested instead of getting away. Yeah, it was didn't... a nice five seconds, but it wasn't enough. Right. Because she just doesn't stick around for the debriefing. Um, but we, you know, get, you know, kind of final goodbyes with Jimmy, which they better make a freaking show with Jimmy. <laughs> Get or have him back Jimmy. in far more yes. shows. He can be the new Coulson. Yes. You know, yes. just don't kill him off. Yeah. Yeah. Don't kill him off and then play tricks with us about a show being tied in and not really tied in and him being yeah. alive and not being alive. Just don't toy with us. You know, we've, we've been toyed enough. Yeah, like, like, okay, maybe you hadn't thought that far ahead at, you know, the original Avengers. Now, you know, so like, yeah, don't play with us. Like, just give us Jimmy. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and I mean, I think like we've talked about uh, and we've talked about on the podcast and, and outside the podcast, Jimmy, Darcy and Monica, they all have well enough warranted a show. They've proven they have chemistry. They've proven they have good comedic timing. You can do a fun show with them and you've got people who are behind it, like 100 percent, you know, want want the shows with those characters. Um, But we do get two stingers. Uh, We get Monica going and having a conversation with someone uh, who turns out to be a scrawl. Uh, and saying that there's a friend of her mother's that wants to see her and points up to space. So this is kind of us seeing her become Photon. Uh, maybe we're going to get either a show with her or tie into Captain Marvel 2 somehow in some extent. Yeah, um, I think she's going to need a show like this to help explore her power set. Yes. Because I did see a lot of debate 
of people are like, well, the hex is over, so she shouldn't have powers anymore. And I'm like, no, because mm. remember, Kat said it was rewriting her DNA. Darcy. When she was, yeah, sorry, <laughs> when she was out of the hex. Right. You know, well, at least it's her name. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's not like a random one. <laughs> but she was saying that her, you know, her DNA is actually being rewritten. So yeah. I, she will continue to keep her powers. Right. And, and uh, I mean, like, because we don't even know if anyone that was living in Westview is going to have some type of reaction and they may not because they were already there and what changes she may have caused. Cause it wasn't like they directly walked through the hex. Like yeah. She and she did. went through it twice. And, and like, it's more in line to do something to someone entering rather than someone that was already there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, I don't see her powers going away just because the hex is gone. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Like you said, it's established. They've talked about the rewriting of the DNA and what rewriting it again would yeah. possibly cause. The nurse with her blood tests and then the x-rays were blank. I'm like, yeah, she's that was her powers right yeah. there. She got them. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah, it's just like I, I don't see where you think that the hex going away. It means her powers are gone. We don't even know exactly what lasting impact the hex is going to have on things. Um, even though everything's kind of reverted back to normal, who knows what lasting uh, effects it's going to have. But uh, it, this is where – so you and I are kind of a, like – I know I want it. You think it's still going to happen. I am unsure and yet trying to kind of come up with explanations on how it could work. Secret invasion. Mm-hmm. So I want you to kind of talk about where where you think and how you think they are going to go about it. If I you can. I f- well, I feel like it's more a Captain Marvel story. So I don't know that they're going to do it with Mar- Captain Marvel 2 because I don't know when the schedule where that is. Yeah, I wouldn't think it would be in, in Captain Marvel 2. But I feel like, like you pointed out in Far From Home and then now here with the Stinger, we're beginning little seeds of like you just little sprinkles of this is secret invasion. It's coming. And you know how, like you said, Feige like built up Thanos over like 10 years worth of films and stuff. I think we're going to continue to get these little sprinkles. And then the next big, maybe not the very next, but it's going to be like the big Avengers movie is going to be like secret invasion. Ha ha. We had you all along. And people who maybe, you know, were casual and not paying attention will be like, Oh my God. Yeah. You know, because I think I 100% think that's what's going on. So I, I think that uh, it may not be the next big bad because I think that they've already they've talked about who they've ca- uh, cast for Kang. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that especially with kind of Tony's uh, kind of parting words with like you mess with time, time's going to mess back. Uh, and and the fact of their time traveling and what implications it's going to have on the MCU going forward, uh, Kang makes the more um, obvious choice to go as that as the next big Avengers villain that they might face in the you know the sixth Avengers movie if they decide to kind of keep mm-hmm. it in that three movie uh, structure, which makes sense. You got three act play, makes sense to do a three act structure that way. And all the while, with all your other kind of ancillary movies and shows, kind of plant those seeds and show kind of who Kang is and what why he should be feared. Secret Invasion, I definitely would see kind of being the the kind of cap or the next one after that 
to yeah. because you need to bring the Fantastic Four into it. You've got Captain Marvel kind of established. Um, so my my big issue of how they can go or why they would go that route is part of the problems that I had with Captain Marvel when it was released is they made Skrulls good guys. So I don't see without some type of like other sect of Skrulls being like, we hate humans. We're going to come after humans. So they're going to have to establish that for me. And I think one thing I've said, I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, but obviously I've talked to you about it, is that they can have a, a branch of Skrulls who blame the humans, blame the Avengers for the snap. And like since they were already kind of a called species and endangered uh, due to the Kree and everything, that when the snap happened and half their population you know, was decimated, they were already lowered numbers and their fear for survival was even, you know, heightened because like uh, we, you know, they have no idea that the Avengers are going to try to, you know, undo the snap and anything like that. So there might become this more desperate sect of the Skrull species that would then, you know, hold them accountable for it and would want to get revenge on earth and on the Avengers. So that's, they're going to have to establish that. They're going to have to plant those seeds. Um, you don't. You don't agree. No, I think it's going to. I think that's overcomplicating what they've already done. I think they've already kind of showed us that we can't really trust the Cree or some of the Cree, and they're just going to go with the Cree or the bad guy. So you know, it's one of those like Occam Razor sort of a thing. Like, don't overcomplicate it. I think because that's established stuff that we've seen before. That's how a lot of people want it to go. But they haven't shown us that. So I think from what they've shown us, the Kree are usually the bad guy. Like, think about, you know, Ronan. Yeah, Think but, about but they, Captain but, Marvel. But the Skrulls are the ones who are responsible for secret invasion, not the Kree. Yeah, but that doesn't matter because Feige will just, you know, he'll, he'll you know, manipulate it. it just, just because it, that's how it's already established in the story doesn't mean that's how it's going to play out in the movie so or the would, show. So you would think that the Skrull would just be coming after the Kree? No, I think people are going to be going after the Kree for, like, revenge of things that the Kree have done to them. So why why come to Earth? Why not? Isn't that where Captain Marvel's from? Well, it's where Captain Marvel's from, but she's already established herself as a friend to the Skrull. I mean, I'm not Feige. I don't know what he's planning, but I think it's overcomplicating it to try and retcon the Skrulls as the bad guys. Well, I mean, I'm he not might, even... but, you know, having already shown us them kind of, like, working with humans and stuff... It, it kind of defeats what he's already done, sort of. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that. And I don't think I'm I'm retconning or overcomplicate. Well, I mean, I might be overcomplicating things because I overcomplicate things. But uh, I don't think it's a retcon to say that because uh, we, we don't know, especially when, you know, the end of Captain Marvel, we have her taking the scroll off to go find a new home world, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we know of a couple scrolls who are good that in far from home are kind of you know, allowing Maria and, and, and fury to have a vacation. So they're kind of setting in place for them. And obviously they've infiltrated other parts of government. So if you're going to retcon it, I would have to say that they were bad all along and they've just been manipulating everyone. But I think that since they were already kind of, again, a endangered species to say that like much in other parts of the world, you have a radicalized 
branch of a religion uh, uh, or something like that that bring out the worst sides that you would have this kind of division amongst the scrolls um, and some scrolls like just want to have peace and some scrolls want to have revenge. It's like the Vulcans and the Romulans, you know, it's just, <laughs> and they could do that. But I think given what we have, like what we have and you just look at it, how the different, how they're presented, how the scroll are presented to you and how the Kree are presented to you, the Kree are presented badly and the scroll are presented in a good light. I think if they continue with that, they don't need to, to do anything. They'll just continue that way See, or they and, could change it. And my, my whole thinking is, okay, if, it, if it's just going to be a purely retaliatory thing against the Cree, earth doesn't need to be involved at all because it's just, well, they'll find a way. I mean, it, it's just like you, then the, the way to make that happen would then to be establishing like a relationship with the Cree and earth that then they would feel betrayed. You know, it, it, either way, at some point, someone within the scroll is going to have to feel ill will and and go after something. And whether it's revenge after the Kree or revenge on someone from Earth, it will we'll have to wait to see. Like we said, it's he, he's probably got this already planned. And like you said, <laughs> I might be overcomplicating it. Um, but we'll we'll just have to wait till we get there. You know, we got movies down the pipe. That yeah, how just... many ever it's gonna be. But I, I'm just excited for the future. I was uh, a little so bit. So are worried. they are they ever gonna give us a new schedule of like when stuff's gonna come out? I feel like we haven't had one in years. So I think Spider Man is still set on track for later this year. Um, I think Doctor Strange is still set for this year. I'm not sure where it's next year. Um, <laughs> I know they're shooting on, um, Thor right now. Uh, so ultimately it, it, it's on the line of what they're going to do with Black Widow. And, you know, at this point they either need to release it or shelve it, you know, because it's obviously other than establishing maybe a new Black Widow, it's not going to have any impact on any f- real future storylines because we know it's right. set in between, Civil War and Infinity War. So as great as it would see to, you know, to be to see Scarlett Johansson's solo led movie, you're already almost a year past original release date and mm-hmm. people want to watch it. But Feige being so resistant to allow it to go to Disney plus with COVID and limited the- theater release, like they want to make the big bucks on it like they do with every temple and I don't even know. I mean, it would have made money. There's no doubt about that. As an MCU uh-huh. movie, it was going to make money. But I don't even know if it was going to drive as much as any of the other solo-led projects or an Avengers movie. Um, well, I think I think that was partially due to the fact that it's not relevant to the story going forward. Yeah. Like, we already knew where it was going to be. So it was definitely one in people's minds that, like, well, I could skip it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, until they would need to know about... a a new black widow then they can go back and reference it so it's and and it's kind of the sad thing because they could have done a black excuse me a black widow movie long ago people Uh were sold on like i wasn't necessarily originally sold on scarlett johansson as black widow back in iron man 2 but then when i saw iron man 2 i was like i'm on board like i think she's gonna be great i want to see her in her own movie and then it never happened. And then we're like, okay, well, maybe we'll get it in the next one. And it never happened. Okay, maybe we'll get it in the next phase. It never happened. And then you have the events of, of Endgame, and you're like, 
why would I care? You know, uh-huh. if we can't have her back, they gave her a satisfying ending. They, you know, talked about, you know, this being her new family, like understanding everything you need to know about her. Why now do I need to jump back, see her have her interaction with her, her actual family if she doesn't consider them actual family uh, by end game, you know? So it, it's, yeah. it's just one of those things where it's like it's almost like it's a project that was set up to fail. And Feige to be like, see, no one wants to see a female-led superhero movie, but yet... No, I, th- I don't know that it was set up to fail. I think it's just a victim of circumstance. Could be. And it, it, I think it's also just kind of a victim of... F- that's one area that just Feige, I think, was maybe just, like, hesitant to go, ah, I don't know if people want to see a, fe- you know, a solo female-led movie. And then Wonder Woman came out and, like, blew... Wonder Woman, not Wonder Woman 84. <laughs> Wonder Woman came out and like blew out the doors for the DCU and everyone loved it and they loved Gal and and it went well. And then it was like, oh, crap, I've really been sleeping on this property. Now I need to rush. OK, we've already got this established as what we plan for her kind of storyline to go. And we've only got her for X amount more movies. Oh, OK, now we're going to have to go set this in between this period and and. Yeah, it's it's just a victim of of maybe not poor planning, but just not thinking she, it it would do well. And, and COVID, <laughs> yeah, and then COVID hit. Yeah, right. Like a lot of other projects is you know. Suffered. Well, yeah, because like you said, it would have made money. Yeah, it would have. I don't know that it would have like hit a billion dollars or whatever, but it would have made money. Well, and and not only that, I, I think like. Again, early on in the MCU, maybe wouldn't have been a great time to release it because, like, it was still experimental. You know, anything prior to Avengers was was like, okay, we're going to try it and we'll see how it goes. And then everything Mm -hmm. post Avengers was like, okay, let's see, you know, how people deal with sequels. And that probably would have been the ideal time because when you get to like phase three, it's like, okay, now we're going to start introducing the new characters and new origin stories. And it's like, now you've bypass anyone outside of Hulk because they just, they hate Hulk apparently and they can't have any other solo movies. Um, it's just like, they Isn't it something the, to do with rights. Uh, no, I don't think it really did. Uh, because like, yeah, it was, it was, uh, after, uh, especially after Avengers prior to Avengers, it was still different studios working together like Paramount and universal. Um, cause universal was doing Hulk. Paramount was doing Iron Man and um, so it was like a kind of like the establishment with Sony right now in Spider-Man. It was like, OK, we're going to deal together to have two different movie companies that are going to use their rights together to kind of create this established universe. And then Disney went, I'm buying y'all and <laughs> no more worries about rights. So like post Avengers, they could have done it because um, at that point, that was the last Paramount produced uh, or co-produced, and then everything else was Marvel Studios 100%. Uh, so I don't think that it was necessarily a rights thing. It was just like they didn't think anyone wanted a Hulk movie. And then people wanted a Hulk movie, and they're like, eh, we don't really want to do a Hulk movie. So we'll put them in Thor <laughs> Ragnarok. You know? <laughs> well, they worked well together, though. They did. It, it did really – because like, basically Thor Ragnarok is almost Planet Hulk. Like that's that's a lot of what's established there. Uh, one of the, just the sad things is the, you know, retconning kind of the end of, uh, age of Ultron when they're like, oh yeah, his, uh, his, uh, Quinjet crashed off the sea some miles out of, you know, outside Japan. And then it's like, 
but he's in space. Like his Quinjet <laughs> went to space. It's like, I, 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 uh, you're overcomplicating things for me, but whatever. Fine. I'll deal with it. I'll, I'll, I'll let my anal retentiveness uh, bypass that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just going to be interesting to see where the future of stuff's going. Uh, I'm excited for it. kind of prior to it. I wasn't really excited because I wasn't really a big fan of Captain Marvel. I've, I've softened up to it a little bit. I've let kind of my previous biases and thoughts kind of go to the wayside. Like I still think it's one of the lesser MCU movies, but maybe it's not as bad as I originally thought it was. It just needed, it needs work. It needs better writers it needs mm-hmm. to have more of a vision and idea of where it wants to go with that character. It so needs if, to show and stop telling. Exactly. So I think like if they if they kind of go with the again with this kind of intermittent show format to kind of set up storylines and show characters and, and relationships and stuff like that, that it might uh, might help improve everything going forward. So I'm very excited yeah. for Doctor Strange. I'm excited for the next Spider-Man. Uh I'm excited for all of the other projects that they have kind of down the pike right now. Whereas prior to, especially prior to one division, I was kind of like, yeah, if the next one sucks, I'm just <laughs> going to stop at Endgame. you know, like, cause in games, a definite cap point to, uh, the story they started, you know, 10, 11 years ago. So, mm-hmm. um, that said, let's talk about our scores for these final three episodes. Um, so for me, I'm just going to go right, you know, bat to bat to bat on them. I think episode seven is kind of like a three and a three and a half. I mean, it's a little bit slower, but it wasn't like the slowness that I felt with the Halloween episode. Uh, I think it, it was really good at kind of establishing, you know, visions now aware more of what's going on and wanting to fix things and, uh, you know, having Darcy in there to fill him in on everything and why Wanda did what Wanda did. Uh, and then the Agatha reveal, it's very good, very well done. I'll say, jump on board and say three and a half. Okay, perfect. And then episode eight, I'm going to land on pretty much like a four, four and a half. Like there wasn't much I had to really complain about the episode. I thought it was really cool with all the kind of in-between segments of stuff we never got to see because you're kind of stuck in a two, two to two and a half hour movie timeline that you can't explore all these, uh, you know, crevices and facets of characters and, and their past and relationships. And kind of, I know you didn't like it, but the reveal of the name of Scarlet Witch. Uh, well, not I that you didn't, didn't like, like it. how it was done. Right. So I just, it had that, those implications of like, you are the chosen one. Right. You are the Phoenix. You are the Scarlet Witch. Like, okay. <laughs> Right. Um, so, yeah, it, it to me, it didn't bother me as much. Um, it's just kind of nice to finally like really hear the name said out loud and kind of know yeah. that to be attached to her character. Yeah, and it's then, not like a big grievance. It's like a tic-tac grievance. Right. <laughs> and then with uh, episode nine for me, it's probably going to be a four. Like I want to lean between a three and a half and a four because there are parts of it that feel flat to me. Uh, you could also, I didn't mention this, but you can kind of see where their budget was starting to thin in some of the <laughs> fight scenes. You could, because you know, normally they're really good with their CGI. And I think that was one of the things that they, one of the reasons why they kind of went with the uh, emulating t- old TV format was they could save some on budget and then use uh-huh. it more on the, on the big stuff. But they might have expended some on some better shots in earlier episodes that they were like, okay, 
going to have to take it a little bit cheaper here. And um, so when it got to kind of some of the fight scenes with Vision and Vision, you're like, okay, it's looking very, very CGI. But most of the witch fight stuff looked really good. So it may be that they just decided to put more of the budget towards that versus the Vision Vision fight, considering how they wanted the Vision Vision fight to go. Um, but yeah, I didn't like the, you know, the Ralph Boner thing. I didn't really like that Evan Peters kind of, I, I don't think they were being disrespectful, so don't get me wrong there, but they just like, they took him and they kind of, it feels like they threw him to the wayside, but you could be right on your theory that they still might use him later on as a, you know, multiverse Pietro or something like that. Um, but I, we didn't really talk about the final um, final credit scene, though. So I'm going to mention that here right now. It feels a little nefarious. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like she's kind of leaning more towards the dark side. Uh, I like that she's kind of in Sokovia, um, but yet kind of now fine-tuning her illusions. And while it looks like she's just out there kind of living peacefully, it's an illusion, and she's in the back reading The Darkhold. And she hears... Billy, Billy or Tommy, whatever, one of the twins, the one that has the supernatural powers. Um, I believe that's Billy uh, kind of yelling, mom, help. And she shuts the book and goes off. So Uh I think that's going to tie in. Uh, My my brother and I were having a conversation. He was thinking that they're still out there, but they're not They're They came down with the hex like everything else. They couldn't exist outside the hex. So I'm leaning more towards it's an alternate earth that she's hearing their cries, and this is what's going to kind of culminate in the the multiverse stuff in Doctor Strange 2. Yeah, especially given that Doctor Strange 2 is called Multiverse of Madness. I think that they are probably somehow, because somehow with her magic, like this uh, alternate Billy was able to know that, like, you're my mom still, you know, however, magic, just explain it away. Right. (laughs) But... I, th- I definitely think it's a multiverse thing that's going to be breaking down and happening. And I saw some interesting theories online that like, because one, I think that like Wanda will be the inadvertent villain because yes. in or going to save Billy and Tommy or doing whatever she's doing, she's going to accidentally release a bigger villain for Dr. Strange to face off with. Yeah. She'll be more of the, the catalyst for, for the events happening. And, and she's kind of walking that thin line. I mean, it's true to her comic book character because even in house of M, like even though she's a hero prior to house of M, she's still kind of a villain during house of M because of her causing all of this and her, uh, you know, kind of rewriting reality. And then basically wishing half the mutant population away by saying no more mutants. (laughs) And then, um, so I think it's a it's a very good setup. The one thing I was really, 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 really disappointed about was they teased this big cameo, this Luke Skywalker moment cameo. And from what I understand, it was White Vision. So I well, was from a little what I down. understand is that she was asked, Elizabeth Olsen was asked a very leading question. Okay. And then the headlines after that took it and blew it out of proportion, as media does. does. And so I think she just said there was going to be a big cameo. Which I would assume was Evan Peters. Evan Peters. And then everybody else blew it out of proportion, especially given, I think that her interview was around the time that the Luke Skywalker cameo was coming out. And I think media, as it does, blew everything way out of proportion. 
and and started making those associations because I can't I don't of course have the article right in front right. of me but the, her direct quote never she never said that okay she just said there was a big cameo and then Paul Bettany she never kind of, said Luke Evan or you know or Luke Skywalker or whatever she just said there's a big cameo well and I know Paul Bettany kind of was keeping the joke going forward saying like oh it hasn't happened yet it hasn't happened yet and then he like the day before the episode came out. Because uh, I, I remember, or it might even been the morning of, because I know I saw an article and I was like, nope, nope, not looking at it. Because it even said like, ooh, Paul Bettany reveals who the uh, cameo is, and it's, and then it puts spoiler. So I'm like, thank God, I, you know, you didn't put the name. But like, then I, I I'm love watching, the troll though. Yeah, and then I watched the episode. And I'm like, there was no cameo, and like I, that's why, I, like, I figured there would be a second credit scene because I'm like, okay, maybe the big cameo is there, and then it was just that, and I'm like. There was yeah. a big cameo there, and then I, I went back. I and like I, his epic level of troll about like working with an actor I've always wanted to work with yeah. before. I'm like, you're amazing, Paul Bettany. <laughs> and so, like, then I read the article afterwards, and I was like, oh, okay, I see what he did there. And like, yeah, that is very clever, and uh, and <laughs> it's just a little bit disappointing that, like you said, the media blew it up to such a proportion that I like where you know you and I were speculating maybe we would see uh, Reed Richards, and you know. Uh, that. All I was expecting was Benedict Cumberbatch. Like that's what I was expecting. But even that, because like we do get the Sorcerer Supreme name, you know, name drop. Uh, not so much Doctor Strange, but you know, oh, you're yeah, more. Yeah, but powerful I mean, I was expecting him. like see him. Right. So like I was expecting, yeah, like you said, maybe my like minor expectation was okay. I'm going to see someone we've already seen. My large mm-hmm. expectation is we're going to see something that's going to be like you know earth shattering. That's going to be like oh my gosh, where is this going to go? But overall, I still really enjoyed it. And and the series as a whole, I think, again, like people that had that kind of initial reaction of not liking the the old format of, of the sitcoms were going to be turned off completely and not given enough time and patience. But then, like you said, some, I think, approached it right, where they just waited for the whole thing to come out. And those people that do binge, binged it all. And then they got had the whole context there for them. Mm-hmm. So... I really liked it. I thought they did a really good job on it. Minor issues here and there, but I think like what it sets up and storylines that can come out of it, I think are great and grand and I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, stay tuned to our podcasts because we will be talking about Falcon and Winter Soldier here before too long. Um, so I, I, you've still got to give your scores on episodes eight and nine. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, I would do, I would do eight as, a four and and nine is a four and a half. Okay. I think, or no, flip flop that. Let's do eight is four and a half because of the previous. It's the previously on. Yeah. I was trying to remember the names of each one, so it's the previously on. I like, like you said, diving into the stories that we didn't have time for in the big movies. Mm-hmm. You know, because this again, like I said, with this sort of format, is where you can do that, and you don't have to worry about. Well, we've only got two hours to tell the story, and we've got to get this done. So I like that. And then I would do nine as a four. And I just, I like, I think there's a bunch of potential to go from here. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't need to be WandaVision season two, but it can be another show that comes from it. I definitely think that a show with Monica and Fury doing something in space, I don't know, with the scrolls, learning her powers or whatever is a much needed thing for Captain Marvel too. Something needs to be able to to fill out and help develop her character because they just didn't do enough. And I wish I had the name of that YouTube video I was telling you about earlier that I watched. But 
he, where he compares Captain Marvel and then Captain America, the first Avenger side by side. And it is really interesting to see all of the very similar parallels and why one falls more flat than the other, you know, because you could say like Captain America is like the most vanilla, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, like Superman it, it, of the Marvel it, universe. It, yeah. It should be like so boring and flat, but it's not, it's so engaging and so emotional and Captain Marvel should be able to like draw you right in and should be amazing. And it kind of falls flat. Yeah. Like it, I don't feel like you can get hyped about that movie unless you're already like hyped. Yeah. I kind of have Cause to, I think uh, if you objectively watch it, you're like, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's not the best. It's not the worst. Yeah. I certainly like, I would have to want to go out of my way to like put it on. It's not like the, when I'm going to be like, Hey, I want to watch a Marvel movie today. It's not going to be the one I go to first. Like, yes, let's watch Captain Marvel. It'd be like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not feeling anything. Uh, yeah. I'm going to want something to put on the background. Okay. I'll put on Captain Marvel, you know? So it's like when I, when I want to revisit storylines and stuff like that, it's going to be a watch, but it certainly didn't do enough. And I, Part of it's to blame a little bit on Brie Larson and a little bit on the marketing on it. And just the fact uh-huh. that I think if I remember, and I, I probably mentioned this in my original review and not my re-review, like it had like four or five writers on it. or may, It may have even had six writers. I, I remember it being something so outlandish that I'm like, that's too many writers. That's too many writers in the kitchen. That's too many conflicting uh-huh. ideas. That's people... Uh, and it even had two directors because the the woman directing it uh, didn't have experience. And so they brought in a male director to kind of which optically when you're trying to push this as a, you know, very feminist film optics, yeah. do, that doesn't look good. Um, not saying that, like, they had conflicting ideas or that he was mean to her or she was mean to him. But, like, they had to bring someone else in to kind of shore up some of those weak things, maybe some of the action scenes. Same thing happened with Birds of Prey, where they uh-huh. had to get a guy who worked on the John Wick movies to help with the action sequences because the director on that, she was uh, kind of new to film and she didn't quite know how to how to work with the stunt people and how to film it. So that that there's ways and i think actually what would be great is if you have these directors uh whether they be you know a man a woman trans uh lgbtq any of those this format of the shows is the best way to give them testing ground to give them experience and then if you want to elevate them to a film they now have some even though it's still maybe considered television it's cinematic television but they they get more experience. They get more relationships built with the the actors that m- they might feel more comfortable behind the camera. And then the same thing with the writers. Like get some of those writers testing out their story ideas and shore up some of those ideas. Because I I think that that's where Captain Marvel ultimately fell was really in the writing department. Visuals were pretty good. Brie was all right. Uh, she was a little wooden for me, and she's not. She's a very good actress. I love a lot of her dramatic stuff. Yeah, I think she was wooden because the character was wooden. Yeah, a lot because of the character doesn't didn't like I said she's suffering from amnesia. She doesn't know who she is, so like she doesn't really have a personality. Right. She had nothing to really anchor her, and no real stakes in the game. Like if she never goes to Earth she's still out there fighting for the Cree. Like it's Mm -hmm. just, she keeps that brainwashing going on. So yeah, I think that that's the main 
problem and then all these other problems kind of come out of it. And again, you have four, six writers in the kitchen. Not all of them are going to agree and some of them might self-sabotage or some of them just might go, yeah, fine, whatever, put it in there, put it in that she punches a motorcycle guy, you know, or something like that. (laughs) So it's just learn from those mistakes because I want Captain Marvel to succeed. Like I want, I like that character, um, from the comics and even though from what I understand from people who who post all about comic books I was a fan of what's considered probably the worst writer on Captain Marvel because of her numbers and the way that her writing and having to relaunch it like five or six times her numbers kept declining whereas there was like this one male writer and his numbers were consistent throughout his entire run on the book and I'm like, ah, well, that's not necessarily been, uh, you know, indi- indicative of the writer. It's more indicative of the market and the fact that Marvel's really having a hard time in the comic book thing, that their real more success is the movies. So it's like I because I really did like Kelly Sudaconic's run on it of when because she was starting it right when I was stopping collecting. So like I was enjoying what I had read. And then, of course, the numerous relaunches happen. Um, So but maybe you do get some of these comic book writers. um, They may not have experience in writing a film, but have them in there as a sounding board to be like, well, that's not how I would write her in the books. Like that's let's do this. Let's try this. And then you have the that kind of relationship with a screenwriter and the comic book writer and they can work together and hopefully maybe come to some, you know, middle roads and go, okay, well, we'll compromise on this and hopefully that'll come out. We'll put more stakes into the game, but we'll take out a little bit less of this messaging or whatever, (laughs) you know, certain things just approach it a little bit differently. Cause I think I really feel like that's the, that's the first real chink. Like, I mean, I may not be a big fan of Iron Man two, uh, to me, Iron Man 2, even though people think Iron Man 3 is the, the worst in the series, Iron Man 2 for me is the weakest. And that's even still with Favreau working you know, on it as the director. Um, and Thor Dark World was was a little bit weaker. But those, even those were, in my opinion, bounds above what Captain Marvel put out. Because like you said, you know, she was wo- the woodenness, the, the amnesia, the not having to know how to interact with certain people and, and, and things like that. It just really, it bogged the movie down and, and you've said it best, the show, uh, or the tell, but no show or the show. No tell. They tell us all about who she was, but they never show us who she was. Like you get very brief little clips of her doing stuff, but we don't get anything to like really, to, to really connect with her. Yeah. Yeah, you know, no because I know I can hear people like crying now about like, well, she's just a strong woman, blah, 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 or whatever. And if it was a male character, you wouldn't have that problem. No, I still have that problem. Yeah. You know, it's, she's just kind of flat. She doesn't have any other personality traits that really stick out except for arrogance. And that's kind of it. Yeah. And, and let's counter that, too, even because uh, I said it earlier um, and we said it prior. We were talking about prior to recording. Uh, and then we'll wrap things up here. Monica, who is a very, very minor character in Captain mm-hmm. Marvel, and she's only a child, is more established and more likable and more attachable to uh, by WandaVision. Because 
Yeah. The one thing that you can say Captain Marvel really does right is establishing her her love for her mom, her relationship with her mom, her mom being the only support system she has, and then kind of a little bit of a relationship with Carol, but not much. Um, but then when we get introduced to her in like WandaVision, nothing with her is forced. We get everything established. We get the cancer history with her mother. The uh-huh. the fact that she was snapped when she comes back five years later. Her mom's been dead for two years. Trying to reorient herself in this new world without her mother. And no one else really there. Everyone kind of having moved on with their lives. And then being drawn into this adventure. And then being able to empathize and understand why Wanda would do this with the monumental loss of vision and being that empathetic character and trying to do what's right, regardless of the warnings of Darcy and like what effects this can negatively have on her. Unfortunately, it has positive effects. So when mm-hmm. you get to that final credit scene and you get the, Oh, he wants to see you. Oh, where? And the scroll points up. You're like, Oh, I want to see those adventures. I want to yeah. see where Monica's story goes next. I really don't care, especially with them kind of ham fisting, her into a period piece of the nineties. I don't really need to know where Carol's going or what Carol's doing. I don't want a Captain Marvel two to be a fill in point of everything that happens prior to her showing up in Endgame. And that was part of also the problem when there was speculation that Carol would be the one that would defeat Thanos. It's like, she hasn't earned it. She Uh hasn't been, we don't know her. We don't love her. We're not attached to her. And if it's anyone outside of Thor, Cap, or Iron Man, and even Hulk, it's, it it would ruin the movie for us. And so like, that's where it's fine, where it's that first beginning thing. Cause it's like, okay, well, obviously they're still going to have to fight Thanos at the end. And then you get the final three on three on one showdown. And she has a little bit part to play in that final showdown, but she ultimately is not responsible for what happens with Thanos. And that made it okay for me because it would have been completely unearned and unjustified. Yeah. So I definitely think Monica's character is far better established, even in just that single episode yes. than we got of Captain Marvel in an entire movie. Yeah. And Monica is all the things that you say about Captain Marvel. She's smart and she's strong and she's attitude or whatever, but you can relate to her. I think it's a good comparison when you, you look at her and, and look at Brie Larson's Captain Marvel, how much more you can relate to and empathize with Monica than you can um, with Carol. Well, and also she's not afraid to show emotion. Like that, that was one thing is like they kept prompting Carol up as, me, powerful woman, hear me roar. I'm nothing daunts me. Nothing really, you know, gets through my shield. But everything that drives Monica is her relationship and is her emotions and how yeah, she and can utilize it. Yeah. In in the movie, too, though, um, they keep saying your emotions are what get you in trouble. But then we never actually see Carol lose control of her emotions. No, we just see her you know, kind of be a bitch and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> like she never actually gets emotional and does, like she even says to Fury like that gets me in trouble. But we never see it. Yeah, it's more it's more arrogance. That's that's really all yeah. it is. It's not like, oh, uh, you know, I'm in an emotional state. So therefore I'm getting, you know, I'm doing this thing out from a place of emotion, a place of anger, a place of fear, a place of worry. It's just, 
I'm great at everything I do, so therefore I beat everybody. So, yeah, Monica, they really did. And I got because I didn't know how I felt, uh, you know, prior to this, that they were going to have Monica into it. I was like, eh, you know, it's kind of hard to do that when we only saw her as a child in Captain Marvel. And like, I don't know how I feel about just like throwing her in there. But I really and, and Tayona Paris does such a good job. Like, uh-huh. I, I believe her character. The only there was like one line that I didn't like. And it was like an episode. It was an episode seven. It was like your the your truth line, you know, and I'm like. There, there, there's only the truth. Like we all have <laughs> our concepts of what truth is, but there's only the truth. And so I don't really, the, the, your truth thing is such a manufactured concept and a manufactured uh, line that, it, that takes me out of something when someone says, speak your truth, or, uh, you know, something like that. But uh, th- she did such a good job on the show and, and they did such a good job writing her character and establishing her character that, I'm more attached to her. I I would be fine if Captain Marvel 2 got rebranded as Photon, you know, like (laughs) that's that's where I'm at at this point. Like I I want to follow her adventures, whereas with Carol, it's like, eh, maybe, you know. Yeah. Now that we've got the mutants, maybe we can do that and we can have Rogue take um, Carol's powers. Yeah. See, that would have been better if they had stuck with Ms. Marvel, you know, prior to that. But yeah. Yeah. You know, who knows? They would have to do it for Rogue to get. If they're going to go with that abilities with Rogue of flying and and having mm-hmm. you know the super strength, but yeah, it's. I mean, be, that'd be one way to be like, okay, we'll just scoot her off to the side. Now here's Photon. You know? <laughs> so yeah, it'll be really interesting. Uh, and like I know that there's kind of some infighting because Bree's not being well liked and well received, not just by the audience, but I, she's butted heads with some cast members that they you know, and she does not like the pop. I, I I don't know personally if she does not like the popularity of Elizabeth Olsen and Scar- and Scarlet Witch, but like the, the people at Marvel and at Disney are like, oh crap, we're, we've tried to set her up as the next big, you know, female that we want to really push, but everyone's latching to Wanda. They identify more yeah, with Elizabeth Wanda. Olsen is such a great actress. Yes, and it's easy. She's so cute and like warm. And it's just easy to connect with her. Well, not only that, it's just that they've done a better job of establishing her character, establishing her Mm -hmm. background, establishing motivation. So when you get that, you know, get that line like you took everything from me and he's like, I don't even know who you are. It's (laughs) like you feel her kind of (laughs) anger. It's like, oh, man, like I'm going to kick your ass type of thing. So. I think that's uh, we've got a little bit longer than what I intended, but I think that's going to wrap it up for us. I know we're both excited for future projects and what this is going to what impact this is going to have. Uh, so we appreciate everyone who's been listening to our reviews. Um, we, we haven't decided the format for Falcon and Winter Soldier because we don't know if they're going to drop two episodes or one episode. Uh, but if we do an episode by episode basis, I th- we're going to alternate where we'll record one episode here. And then we're going to record the following episode on Leslie's podcast. Uh, just to, you know, make sure you guys are going over there and checking her <laughs> show out. Uh, she does a great show and she's, uh, you know, helped out here and it's going to help out with us on getting things set up. We're going to be close to getting our website uh, together. Uh, we're finally in a place where things might actually be affordable equipment wise and, and get to some streaming and live streaming stuff. So uh, only only great things to come in our second year of the <laughs> podcast because that's coming up here in April. Uh, so, again, thank you guys for tuning in. 
you can follow Leslie at Leslie Monday podcast. Um, that's what it is there on Podbean. <laughs> Sorry, my <laughs> mind was like, wait, that's not the website. Uh, the website is com, and it will have the links to all the social media right in the top bar. You don't have to scroll down or anything. It's right there at the top. Perfect. And you can always follow us at Critics NT Cynics, NT Cynics uh, on Twitter, although uh, we're we're not posting a whole lot on Twitter. We're kind of we're kind of done with Twitter uh, at this point. Um, yeah, I will. I will say I will be getting rid of Twitter. Yeah. So if you're a Twitter follower, I apologize, but I'm. I'm done with Twitter. I'm hurt. It's, I'm it's hurt right now. I'm a Twitter follower. Come on, I'm, my <laughs> heart is broken now. Uh, yeah, it's it's we're you know we may not be big uh, and we may not get you know a million listens or a million downloads a day, but we're getting traction from people you know listening without too much promotion, and so uh, we're we're kind of fine with that. You know, we're we're not really as much as we love to be making money off this stuff right now, we're not really in it to make money. We're, we want to just talk about movies and stuff. And hopefully you guys like to listen to us talk about that stuff. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be keeping the Facebook going cause Facebook's a lot easier and it's a lot mm-hmm. less, uh, depressing, um, <laughs> to say. And so you can follow us on Facebook, at, uh, critics, not cynics podcast, uh, you can listen to the podcast on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Audible, Amazon, basically about anywhere you can get your podcasts. And I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh, Leslie, thank you for joining me on this a journey of WandaVision. <laughs> it's been really great to kind of speculate and talk about these reviews. I know you and I both love these characters and love Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been really fun to talk with someone who loves this stuff as much as I do, whereas everyone else is like, yeah, can you shut up now? Um, (laughs) So thank you again for, for joining. And we will talk to you guys next time.